0: So we saw in the first 11 chapters the doctrine being laid down. And then chapter 12 started, how do we apply now that doctrine? The first thing he said in Romans 12, to give our bodies as a living, holy sacrifice unto God as pleases him. Not our definition, not each other's definition, but his definition. And he said your first commitment is giving your, yourself sacrificially to the body of Christ. And then he said to Christians and non-Christians how we're to treat one another. And then in chapter 13 we saw how we are to be towards the government. And now in chapter 14, it's how do we deal, as we give our bodies a living sacrifice, how do we deal with those people who have strong opinions but on things that are not clearly taught in the scriptures. If you would, we, could, we would call them today gray areas. Here in Romans chapter 14, he calls them doubtful things. So let's read there. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to his disputes over doubtful things. So who is a weaker brethren? A weaker brethren is a person who doesn't have a lot of liberty. I don't do that, I don't do that, I don't say that. and, And really, where they're at in their maturity, they really need that. Okay, it's important that they are limited in their liberty as their growth in the Lord because to go outside that liberty would be stumbling for them. And so the stronger Christian, the more mature Christian needs to be uh, sensitive to that. And so we need to to say, okay, I realize that's a real stumbling thing to him and so I'm not gonna do it around here. I'm not gonna do it in a way that would, would stumble that person because that's, that's a gray area. And, and again, to the weaker brethren, it's not a gray area at all. It's clearly black and white, and I can tell you right now why nobody should do this. And uh, they have a very, very strong opinion about that, and that's, that's okay, that's where they're at right now, in their walk with the Lord, and that's where they need to be. And so as more mature Christians, we need to be sensitive to that. And in verse two, For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Remember that story in 1 Corinthians eight where Paul realized, he said, hey, if me eating meat stumbles my brethren, I'll never eat meat again. I don't think I could do that for anybody, I'm sorry. A veggie burger every once in a while I can handle, but man, Paul's a very strong Christian. And uh, But in essence at that time as you went through if you would sort of the swap meat, there really wasn't meat that was being ate that wasn't sacrificed to something. They they wouldn't waste it, just kill it and eat it. They would go to their temple, sacrifice it, they would take the meat back. And so Paul's just going through the swap meat there going, man, that smells good, starts eating it. But another guy would say, that place you bought from, they're a part of that religious group. And my daughter got brainwashed by them and was a prostitute in that group for three years. In the pagan cultures, you had a lot of weird, weird stuff. And now you just supported the very group that that basically abducted my daughter for three years, and she's still messed up. Now, how, how's Paul to know that? They're just got some shish kebab going over there. He didn't ask, you know, what they believed in and where they worshiped before he bought that, you know? Smelt good, good seasoning, and he's really enjoying it. But here comes this other guy, and he stumbled by that. So what, what's Paul to do? You know, in that, that moment, I think Paul would say, as we look at 1 Corinthians eight, he would just throw it in the trash saying, hey, sorry because he doesn't want this guy to be stumbled, even though it's just meat. Now Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, he goes, there's one God, and I know who he is, and he made all things. So you can do whatever you want with that meat, it's still my God, it's his cow, and I'm enjoying it. <laughs> that was his position. Even though they're saying that you know we we're sacrificing this to Zeus or whatever, to me, it's, they got some good spices on the meat and I enjoy it. But then he backs up and says, but however, I understand that I affect people. And as I'm affecting people, I need to understand that what I'm doing, how that does affect them. And then in verse two, or verse three, let him who eats de- despise him who does not eat. And let not him who does not Eat, judge him who eats, for God has received him, or received them both. And so the guy who's, you know, walking through that supermarket and or through that that swap meet type of thing, and he sees some guys at church over the distance eating that shish kebab. You know, and he just wants to run around and find everybody he knows. Hey, don't buy from them. Don't buy from them. Don't buy from them. Maybe you know. He's to stop and realize, hold it. They don't know anything about what that thing was sacrifice to or what religion they're part of. He's just buying a shish kebab, you know? And so don't despise that guy. He's over there at a picnic table with his family, and there he's got some Zeus burgers over there, and he's got some Diana, you know, cheese fries over there, and, you know, the guy's just having lunch. Don't, don't despise him for it. And on the other hand, um, or excuse me, don't judge him for it, but the other guy who's looking at him only eating vegetables because he don't, doesn't want to support any of these groups because he doesn't know what meat's been sacrificed to whoever and he's sensitive about that, don't despise him for his sensitivities. Don't judge them because they're eating it and don't despise them because he's not eating it. It's, it's, they're, they're both gonna be received unto God. And so here he, he's saying that God's gonna be the ultimate judge of what was in their heart when they did that. The fact is, there might, might have been some rebellion in a guy's heart. Oh, here comes so-and-so He doesn't only eats vegetables. Hurry, buy some Just We're gonna walk by him and let the juice go down our chin and just stare at him. There you go, see you at church on Sunday, uh, you know? I mean, we don't know what's going on in people's hearts. That's why we, we can't judge. God's gonna figure out what's going on there in the attitude of the heart when that deed was done. And in verse four, Who are you to judge another servant? We're all servants of the Lord. To our own master, God, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. So you know what? Maybe this guy really should have a sensitivity about that, but he doesn't right now. And you know what? It's not for me to go put some law on him. What's the Bible say? The law kills. <laughs> the law brings death. You, know, you notice the law didn't say, the law's not always good. The law sometimes is, I don't know, just sort of bothers me sometimes. Is that what the Bible says? It kills, it brings death. It's a very strong thing there. But the spirit brings life. The love of Christ, and I emphasize Christ, brings life. And so we need to have our liberty. Paul also in Corinthians says, in actuality, there is no law for us. There is no law. However, not everything edifies. And then the next time he says, we have no law, however, some things will bring you into bondage. And far as I'm concerned, my body, soul, and spirit's God's, and I can't have something else controlling me. So sometimes people ask me, can, can Christians smoke? And I say, there is no law for us. It's okay to smoke if that's with you, but it, well, is it gonna, am I going to go to hell? No, you won't go to hell because you smoke, but you'll always smell like you've been there. LAUGHTER <laughs> but uh, then the question comes does this edify the question comes can it bring me under its power and the answer to that mostly is yes but I mean a guy who smokes a cigar once a year on the fishing boat with his dad you know again can you say don't ever smoke that one cigar once a year can you the, the fact is, is, it's for some of you, it's just like, I'd never do that. Either you're saying, yeah, I could, i do that. i do that four or five times a year. So they're right there, you feel the tension. <laughs> don't judge him who does, and don't despise him who doesn't. There, there's, there's, not, there's not a law in the Bible about that. You gotta realize, there's a lot of cultures and things that have been created since the Bible was written. But yet the principles apply to all those cultures and situations, okay? There's not a a verse that says, thou shalt not shoot up heroin. (laughs) Because it wasn't in existence. There's many other drugs since then. But what's the Bible say? Don't be intoxicated. Don't let any of these, that you're in the flesh if you're intoxicated in this way. So again, the principles there, even though it doesn't mention every single of the millions of drugs in existence around the world. And so again here, we, we, we need to understand that God's called us to liberty. He wants us to walk in liberty. We're not to be putting laws on one another. It, it doesn't work. There's some uh, schools that I know through the years that have just said, you know, they've been big enough, the church grown, and they said, hey, everybody who works in our Christian school has to go to our church. That's all we wa- always the way we wanted, a big happy family. If you don't go to church here, you can no longer work here even as a Sunday school or as a kindergarten teacher, whatever. And quickly, what's the first question? What does it mean to go to church here? You guys have something going on every night of the week, every day of the week. You have, you know, what does it mean? So what does it bring out? It means it brings out the Phariseeism. You know, give me the exact law into detail. Well, they say, well, attend at least one service a week. So he says, well, I'll go to the women's Bible study on Tuesday nights. The other one says, I already play softball every Monday night with your guys' church. So there we go. We attended one of the congreg- congregation- congregational things in the church. Now, is, is that what they were intending? No. But are they following the law? Yeah. You see, the law just creates Pharisees. And this is again why we don't, we need to not do what we don't do for a different reason than law. We need to do what we're doing for a different reason than law. And here he's saying it's relational. It's unto God. It's, he's, he's the one calling the shots. We, we, we learn in 1 Corinthians 6 that he bought us with a price by the blood of Jesus Christ. He bought us with that price. We're no longer our own, we're his. So really my hands are no longer my my own. My body, my time, my life it's all his. So really the question is is what do you want done with this body? And that's what we need to ask. And so again, God's going to judge it. Don't you be the judge. And guess what? You know that guy that smokes 5 cigars a year? You know, God may not send him to hell after all for that fact is is that he may be able to stand god may say it's not even an issue and the other the other hand um, the guy that does smoke a cigar one time it sort of brings him back into his own life and before you know it he's stumbling as he did as a non-christian just that one thing just sucked him right back into the old life so it could be an issue for him and by, by the way, guys, I just want you up front to know, we're not gonna have a nice conclusion here today. <laughs> we start talking about doubtful things and we're gonna end with doubtful things and in essence, you, you've got to sort it out yourself. And in verse five, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each one fully be convinced in his own mind. So remember the Jews said, hey, you've got to worship on Saturday. We see in Corinthians where he says, to the Gentile church, when you all meet on the first day of the week, then he talks about the tithes and offerings when you collect them, this is what I want you to do with it. So um, to one person, it's like, well, you gotta worship on this day. I have some Seventh-day Adventist friends, and it's like, oh yeah, you gotta worship on, on Saturday. It's like, okay, you're telling me the first Saturday from when God created the world, you still got Saturday. It's like, I really doubt it. I think Saturday's probably like Thursday. If you really wanna be worshiping on the seventh day, it's Thursday. I mean, in reality, it's probably, I mean, some way, someday, some mathematician's gonna figure it out and I guarantee you it won't be on a Saturday. <laughs> It'll be, I mean, it's one in seven chance they got it right, right? The odds are against them. But in their minds, that's, that's the day. Now, when you really look at the Bible, God never commands them to worship on Saturday. He says, rest. And in Genesis, it says, God rested from all his work, from all his labor, and he rested and made that a day of rest. Is worship a day of rest? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work to get up, to come, to get ready, to greet and meet. There's a lot of stress in all of that. For a lot of people who are here the whole morning, they're greeting and teaching Sunday school and all parts of all aspects, it's a lot of work. And God didn't intend for the priest on the day of rest to be hoisting up these animals and you know, sacrifice, I mean, a tremendous amount of labor. They didn't rest on the Sabbath. Now, as we get to the New Testament, Jesus brings that up and says, you know what? It's not not an issue with me. But I never said, (laughs) this is a day we worship. There's a couple of illusions, it's like, hey, when you guys worship, on that day, but God said rest. But to some people, that's the day. Now, you're saying, oh, that's, that's just crazy. Well, how would you feel if you didn't come Sunday morning? The fact is, it's sort of ingrained in many of us, Sunday morning, if you don't go to Sunday morning, you don't feel like you went to church at all. For them, if they don't go Saturday morning, it doesn't feel like they went to church at all. But you know, in many cultures, like we were just in Brazil, they've never had Sunday morning service. It's always been Sunday night just the way the the dynamics of the culture works. Sunday nights when they have the service. Now there are a few American transplanted churches there that insist to have it on Sunday morning and some people have joined it, but I mean most of the churches meet Sunday night. I've known a couple of towns where there are vacation spots and people will come out of the big cities, you know, Thursday night and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They're there, you know, as this little vacation village And everybody has church on Tuesday nights or Wednesday nights. Depends if you're Seventh-day Adventist or not, no. Um, (laughs) Because Wednesday, they got to get everything ready, get the store filled up and everything organized. And then everybody starts coming to town on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Sunday evening, they start leaving. Monday's their Saturday. They're resting. Tuesday... They now wanna go to church, but there's still other people working in the city, you know, regular people working in a regular job, so they have their services Tuesday night. And it doesn't matter if you're Lutheran, Catholic, Methodist, whatever, they all meet Tuesday night. But again, if you got stuck in your head, this doesn't feel like church because it's Tuesday night, not Sunday morning or Saturday or whatever. Paul says, I worship every day. I worship the Lord every day. I love congregationally. I love to do it with two or three brethren. I love to, you know, there's all kinds. I worship God every day. But again, you you don't wanna condemn your brother or despise your brother. Just be fully convinced in your own heart. So if that's a a clear issue to you, it's very black and white to me, you've gotta go and worship on Saturday morning or Sunday morning or Sunday night, whatever it is, then. Be convinced fully in your own mind. In verse six, he who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, and he who gives God thanks, and he who does not eat, to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. Do you notice in that verse? To the Lord, to God, to the Lord, to the God. He goes back and back and forth and he's saying, the conclusion of what you're doing it is you're convinced in your own heart, this is what God has me to do. I'm sure that I've heard from the Lord that this is when I need to, this is the day I need to give His a rest, this is the day I need to worship, and, and I know that I've gotten those directions from God. However, he's gonna question that in a minute. And in verse seven he says, for none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. Guys, if you want a great bumper sticker, there is a great bumper sticker right there. Talking about a scripture that provokes thought. Such a powerful proverb, isn't it? That we need to wake up and understand that we don't live in a vacuum. That what I do or don't do Affects a lot more people than you ever think. You know, and and you all have been testified of that. Where, you know, you're just going to work, doing your job, doing your thing, and and some guy comes up after a couple of years, going, "Man, your life has been such a witness to me. I wasn't a Christian. I hated Christians, but just seeing you and your your you know just your diligence and your honesty, and you're always kind, and you're just like." I don't know what you're talking about. Hey, we're a light to the world. We're a salt to the entire world. We're not a light to 10 people. We're not a light to your country. Jesus says we affect one another worldwide. We're a light to the whole world. We're salt of the whole earth. And I think that's one thing that we often realize, sometimes negatively, sometimes we realize it positively. But our choices what we say what we do Wow I thought it was just three or four people that heard that or a part of that or saw that and phew, all of a sudden it's it's far reached more far more reaching than you thought and so here he's saying again understand this yes we live to the Lord but then understand also he says you don't live to yourself either you don't die to yourself either so he says you're fully convinced in your heart This is what God has me to do, okay. Now let's test it another way. You're so confident you can do this, and God's given you liberty to do this, but how is it affecting people around you? It's hurting them. It's stumbling them. They don't like it. It's bothering them. Well, God told me I can do it, but wouldn't the fruit be in the fact that people are blessed and not cursed, or people are full of joy and not cringing? So the fact is, is yes, you're convinced that you heard from God, but the fruit of that is not bearing witness that you've heard from the God. And so we need to understand that it's not just about what's best for me or what liberty do I have. I need to ask myself, how is my liberty affecting others? No one lives to himself, and guess what? We're not gonna die to ourselves. We're all gonna. We're all joined together. We're all linking arms here. Remember, we learned earlier we're each individually members of what one body. And so there's there's things here as a church that we're convinced of. We're convinced that we need to teach verse by verse of the Bible. We're convinced that we need to have a, a worship that's spiritual and worshipful. I personally like the hymns. I think it's singing doctrine to music, why the Bible says psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. A lot of our worship leaders didn't grow up in any church and the hymns are just a complete foreign language to them and it's, it's hard. But yet, I just find them so rich and I, I want my kids to have hymnody. I want everybody's kids to have hymnody. I want that to be something deep in your heart that you, you're singing doctrine as well as spiritual songs, as well as psalms. And so those are things that I'm convinced of and that's what we're doing. So is it a law on the worship leaders? No, but that's the way we're gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, what God does here Sunday nights, it could not be done any other night or day of the week. And what God's doing here on Sunday night is completely unique. I, I feel it's essential to a Christian who really wants to grow deep to be a part of that. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in my children's life. I've seen it in those who have taken on, I guess, that challenge or, and it's not always easy to line yourself up and and get that to be a pattern. It's a whole nother thing, but I've just been pastoring over 25 years. I was in many other churches before that. Grew up in a church and ever I've been, there's been a Sunday night dynamic there's life in that church. When it's not, it just seems like we all just sort of end up being robotic, Sunday morning going to Christians, and there's really not the tremendous fruit and the, and the love and the work um, towards one another, the labor of love and the work. And so again, am I saying legalistically come Sunday nights? No, I'm just saying if you have any love for me, come Sunday nights. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really not for me. It's just because I know the fruit that'll abound to your account. And to understand, say, well, I don't need to go. And We're not gonna put a law on you, but at the same time, I'm saying to you, you don't live to yourself, you don't die to yourself. You're affecting one another. And being the most fruitful person you can be is the most positive way you can be fruitful towards one another. Well in verse eight, if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord. So now he's saying we don't live and die to ourselves concerning one another, but then he's also saying in the same way, I need to be careful that I'm not just pleasing men. You know, there's a lot of people and their personalities and and their gifts that they wanna please people. And a lot of times they can get out of the will of God by trying to bless people. And they're trying to bless 20 people and they're, you know, they don't want to say no to anybody and they're, and they're cursing everybody. You, you need to be in the spirit. You need to be going, Lord, help me sort this out. What's the priority? What is your, your will for my life? and In this situation, I have, you know, six pieces of pie and I got 10 people who want it. What do I do? And so again, we need to get our eyes on the Lord. So you're saying, well, explain that again. Which is it? Guys, sometimes it's this, sometimes it's that. I, I, it's, there's not an easy formula here. This is what I'm saying. And in verse nine, for to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he who might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Verse 10, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? If we shall, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Make, make a note of this word judgment here. Because there's two separate judgments as we go on and read through the Bible, we get to Revelation. There's one that's called the great white throne of judgment. And that is a judgment of condemnation to unbelievers. Basically to what level of hell they're gonna go to. And then there's what's called the Bema seat, B-E-M-A. And this is where in the, in the Olympic Games, everybody here is meddled to some degree. Of course, they didn't give them medals at the time. But you're all gonna get a reward. You may get the gold, the silver, the bronze, or whatever. You're all getting a reward, but we gotta figure out what kind of reward you're gonna get. And this is what he's talking about here. We're gonna all stand before God for reward, loss, or or gain, but what does he say there? Um, It's God (laughs) that's gonna be doing that judgment, not a group or a panel of, of our peers. So therefore, we must stand before the behemoth seat of Christ, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. Now, here's a great note here. If you go back, that verse is being quoted out of Isaiah 45, verse 23. And if you'll notice, the word Lord is in all capitals. When it's an L with then a lowercase o-r-d, It's the word Adonai, but when they're all capitals, especially through the Old Testament, most Bibles signify that, it's actually just four consonants. Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H, it depends on how you transliterate it, not translate it, but transliterate it. Back in the 1500s, there were some German scholars who thought they could decipher this code because there's no way to enunciate it with just consonants. So they thought, let's take the letters out of Adonai, or take the letters out of Elohim, the vowels, excuse me, and let's put them in between the consonants. And of course, they were Germans, so the Y had a J sound. And there they come up with Jehovah. And that's why you have different spellings of it. It depends on how you translate or transliterate some of the vowels or some of the consonants. But the Jews never tried to enunciate this. They think it's the holy name of God. When the Masorites would write the scriptures, when they came to this, called the Tetragrammaton, they wouldn't write it. They would go get a new ink, a new quill. They would put on new clothes after they bathed. They put on new clothes, they worshiped. And then they would write these four letters. And if it came up three letters later, they did the process over again. It was such a holy name of God. Today, uh, just for communications purposes, they'll say Yah or Yahweh, but Jehovah is just the imagination of somebody's mind taking letters out of a word for the Lord, a word for God out of the the Hebrew and putting that in there. And so often you ask the Jehovah witness, as you quote Isaiah 45, 23, saying, who is this right there? It's the Lord, that's that's Jehovah. Great, let's look, look over in Romans 14. Before the judgment seat of what? Christ. And then also, in uh, Fli- Philippians 2, it's even more clearly there, because there are some trans- translations difference on this, different variances on this, it could be God or Christ, but in Philippians 2, it says, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess unto Jesus as Lord, unto the glory of God the Father. So we're gonna all be there, before the beam of seat before Christ. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. And so we really can't sort out the inner workings of a person's heart. We can only judge on the outer man. God can judge on the outer man, but he also can judge the heart. So why you're doing what you're doing, the motive you have, the deviantness or the lust or the rebellion, whatever is going on, there may be none of it. There may be a lot of it. It may be a stepping stone away from God, even though it's no big deal at this moment, you're going in the wrong direction with this. Therefore, in verse 13, let let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in any brother's way. I know and I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him who considers anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. Yet if your brother is grieved because of your food, you are no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with food the one for whom Christ died. Verse 16, therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. So notice there he says, let's let's purpose in our heart to not judge anyone anymore on these questionable issues. Now I might add here, as we go on to verse 14, you know, if you consider it clean, then it's clean. I've had people say, there it is, you know. Um, I believe cocaine is clean. There's a scripture. Guys, we're not talking about <laughs> drugs or killing somebody or what. You know, we're talking about doubtful issues. Whether you eat meat that's been sacrificed or, or, or vegetables. We're talking not about... Um, whether we can say heroin's unclean, but chicken is okay. I mean, this is, it's ridiculous. This passage is not covering that issue whatsoever, so don't take these scriptures out of context. He's not talking about things that are clearly not doubtful. They're, it's very clear that we're not to be um, drunk. We're not to be, by any kind of thing, we're not to be intoxicated. But here again, he says in verse 16, Therefore do not let your good be spoken of as evil. Now through the years I've, I've traveled to many parts of the world and, and there are a lot of things in our culture that, that are not doubtful to us, but yet they are in other cultures. And, and it's hard sometimes to figure it out. I know when Greg had first gone to Hungary, there was a, a church that wanted to bring their college group over and do an outreach. But it was in the hottest time of the summer and as soon as everybody got off work, they went right to this lake, river, pond thing. You know, mostly mostly toxic waste in it, but that's a whole other story. That's where everybody went. And they had a big musical band and skits and they were gonna preach. And so all day long, Greg and the missionaries got everything together and they set it up there on that beach and everybody started showing up. And again, this is Eastern Europe, Western Europe, some are topless, some aren't. Eastern Europe, it's no question, it's, they're all topless. And so the college leader shows up and he's like, ah, you know, what's going on here? It's like, this is just what they do here. What do you do? Do you go ahead and preach the gospel to a bunch of topless people? <laughs> that's what they did in Africa, that's what they did in New Guinea, that's what they, I mean, you can find many parts of the world, that's what they did but these are a bunch of white people that look like my sister or whatever, you know. This is too much. And so Greg's like, look, you can can go set this up in the park and sing to squirrels. (laughs) Or if you wanna talk to people, this is where 100% of this town is, and they will continue to be here every day. Well, this guy just said, I can't do it, I'm not gonna put all our college kids under this or whatever, and they just packed up and stayed in their hotel and the thing ended up being a waste. But it, it's hard, you know, can I say that guy was wrong for what he did? No, I mean, you could convince me, pack it up and you know, get away from the nudists. I mean, I can hear a pretty strong argument for that. But you spent thousands of dollars taking all these people over there to preach the gospel and I can hear a good argument that I, I just like, I can't condemn him or despise him or judge him. It's, there's a choice to be made and it's, it's not an easy one. Almost every part of the world I've gone to, they, everybody makes their own wine, makes their own vodka, and it's very, very special to them. It's usually just for their own blood relation, so only for their own family. But when you, you get into these people's lives, they, you know, they have you over for dinner, or take you out to dinner, or whatever, they, they want you to try their wine or their vodka. Now, I understand, as a pastor, that I affect people far greater than, than somebody else might. So I convinced in my own heart I've never drank, never plan on drinking. But the thing is, is that what I do on one part of the world gets back to this part of the world. But at the same time, if I look at them and go, I don't drink. Well, my good, like it says there in verse 16, is spoken as evil to them. I'm, I'm, I'm really. They, they opened up their heart and they gave me their family little glass of wine here and I'm basically spitting in their face. So at first I'm just like, man, I, I can't do it and I just was offending people and offending and I hear from the missionaries, man, they're not gonna come in here. You preach today, Brian, because they're just, they're so embarrassed and I'm just crushed over it and so over a period of time I said, you know, when that happens to me again, I'll put this little, put it to my mouth, and just, oh man, that's great. I've also noticed in every culture, if you take a little sip, they fill your glass right up again. <laughs> and, and they will continue to fill it up until it's full. And it's you in the table walking away it being full. So I just start with it being full. And uh, when they ask me, hey, you like it? It's like, yeah, I like it. Well, you didn't really drink much. I didn't drink any, but you didn't see that. We were at a, in Croatia, we did a leadership there with a, a number of uh, leaders and Calvary pastors and we were going to this little restaurant because it was cheap, they thought we went there because we loved it, it was just the cheapest place to eat there and we went there all week long and at the end of the week, I mean, we were just being ourselves and it was just such a dynamic witness. Again, Iron Curtain fell, they didn't, they didn't have, they didn't have people that loved Jesus, they just never saw it, ever. And uh, it was just so dynamic to them. And the last day, they came out and they said, this is not on the menu, this is our own family vodka we've been making for thousands of years. And and they put it all in front of us, you know. And uh, my wife, Cheryl, had just gone to the bathroom. And she came back, and there's this vodka in front of her, and she thought we were joking. We thought we bought it just to to tease her, which is pretty much something we might have done at some point. (laughs) But. she pushes it away and, but you know, everybody takes a little sip and the guy, the owner's looking at me like, you know, it's sitting there, I'm like, guys, let me tell you this, with why it's sitting on the table, it smells like gasoline. <laughs> I, I promise you, it is not, not uh, something less, full on gasoline. That's what it smelled like. So there was just no desire there. And so they're all, everybody's staring at me like, and so I sort of put it to my mouth and it felt like I had gasoline on my lips. And uh, anyway, my wife came back, she just pushes away. And there was a, a doctor there, part of the church. She's like, you don't want that? She's like, no, I'm not gonna drink that. And every, you know, everybody else did, so the restaurant guy wasn't too crushed. But uh, he goes, man, he took it and he goes, what about you, Brian, take, I'm not gonna drink it. He's like, he drank three or four of these. He goes, you don't understand. When we're traveling through all these countries, you're getting all kinds of, I don't know how to say it in English anymore, animales in, in the lettuce and in the water and all the different things, it's, it's and he goes, man, I, I take at least a glass or two every night when I'm traveling like this, just to kill everything. <laughs> and he's like, man, I really encourage you to do that too. And it's like, no, I'm just gonna trust in the Lord and take some Imodium AD if I have to, but. But anyway, I I knew that if I didn't drink, it was gonna be seen as evil. I didn't drink, but they thought I did, and that was good enough. But at the same time, how blessed would you be if we were down at Old Town here, and I'm at a restaurant, and I have two empty bottles of beer, and I'm starting on my third, and you walk by. Hey, pastor. I mean, how many of you guys would be blessed seeing that? Not very many of you, just the alcoholics that have come today, welcome, we're <laughs> glad you're here. <laughs> but it, it, it wouldn't bless you. Why is that? Because you have a higher expectation of integrity. Because you're, you're saying that, that, that that's not good for some to say, I agree with you. But understand, you also are that person. It's not just me. We see it in a different degree, but you also are that person. As you mature in the Lord, you don't say, oh, I affect three or four people, no big deal. Chances are they're coming to the restaurant, never happened. Understand, guys, <laughs> what, you, what you do in secret is shatter from the rooftops and you affect one another and you affect your kids, you affect your spouse and you gotta take that into consideration because when you now have given that liberty to yourself, in essence, your kids are taking that liberty for their own. See, that's the thing you gotta understand. And so if I'm out to lunch with some guy and I say, what do you guys want to drink? I say a glass of wine and this guy, you know, has not been an alcoholic for 20 years, but he's still going to Fellowship Recovery AA from time to time because he's still concerned. He hasn't taken a drink in 20 years, been a Christian 20 years, and he's sitting there going, man, I haven't drank in 20 years. It probably wouldn't affect me anymore. And here's the pastor, he's drinking a beer or a glass of wine or whatever. Yeah, you know what, I'll try it too. If. And what could happen? <laughs> First Corinthians 8, I've emboldened him to in some degree, maybe he stumbled back into alcoholism. It could happen. So again, we, we have to understand that, we, we, how we affect one another. I was working back when I was on staff with another church, I was working with a couple and they had been for years alcoholics. I mean, every area of their life was Messed up to a degree. I can't hardly tell you about it. And they were in the fellowship recovery, but they had issues with their marriage, with their kids, with their in-laws, with their work. With fine- and I'm just we're just unscrambling this stuff, just one by one, giving them the Christian principles to live by. And they were just so self-conscious because they they felt like they looked like winos, and to some degree they did. And I'm like, nobody's going to care. We love you. They just they came to church and sat in the back and you know, just got out and didn't want to meet They were so ashamed of how their body had been deteriorated by the years of alcoholism. And I finally talked them into going to a home fellowship. Please, just get to know people and you'll see that they don't care. So they called up a home fellowship and the home fellowship said, hey, we're meeting at the park this week. Cool, I know where that park is. They show up and the home fellowship leader says, oh, are you so-and-so? Yeah, that's us. Here, have a beer. They were absolutely crushed. And of course, the church didn't approve of that, but it was just absolute ignorance of Romans 14 for that fellowship leader to not understand that whatever, whoever has that liberty, it's gonna stumble somebody, especially in a fellowship setting. So don't let your good be spoken of as evil. And you're saying, which one is it, Brian? You gave me two different scenarios. Like I said, we're not coming to a conclusion today. You have to come to your own conclusion. In verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but what? Righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. There you go, guys. Just ask yourself right now, by taking this liberty, is a sense of righteousness gone? Is my sense of peace with God gone? Is the joy of the Lord gone? Not just with you, but with others. So I've got this liberty, but my kid's peace is gone. I got this liberty, but my wife is grieved. I got this liberty, but I'm bumming other people out. They, they don't respect me like they once did. So really, in what I do, and it's not just do I have righteousness, peace, and joy in my own heart. You do, because you have that liberty. But what have you done to others? Have you stumbled them? Have you hindered them? And in verse 18, for he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by God. Therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace, the things by which one may edify, there it is, build up one another. Do not destroy the work of God with the, for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. Again, stumbling somebody, hurting somebody. It is good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. So in essence, he's saying this. Well, me and God are fine with that. And Paul is like at this point saying, take it and stick it. You have your nice little faith between you and God, but you are stumbling people, you're offending people, you're weakening people, and I don't care what little arrangement you made with God, I'm seeing the after effects, and it's not good. And you need to take them both into calculation. Well, God, man, this is what we've come to clearance on, but at the same time, how is it affecting my brethren? And if it is negatively affecting your brethren, I doubt, what God spoke to you that he really spoke to you. I think you got that liberty because you want that liberty and you wanted God to say it so you heard God say it. But the fruit of it is not healthy. And in verse 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not from faith is sin. So what he's saying here now is that you don't just have one side of the aspect of sin. You have the sin of commission, doing what you shouldn't do. You have the sin of omission, doing something, and you didn't do it. And so again here, it's, it's not about just one aspect of things. You, you, you did the sin of commission because it affected your brother negatively or you committed the sin of omission because it hurt somebody by not doing it. So you've got to realize that you've got to understand fully how is this affecting me and my relationship with God, but how is this affecting others? And if one of those there is a doubt, don't do it because it's sin. If you're thinking in your mind, eh, it might, maybe not, possible, don't do it. It's that simple, you're doubting. You, it's not something you're, you're clear on. And, and you gotta realize if it's bringing you under its power, and again, you, you, you know, we think of, you know, smoking is it under your, I've seen that. I've seen people that can't sit through a whole church service. They have to go out and get a smoke because they're trembling. Been at the men's retreats and the same thing. We're just worshiping God's spirits, meeting us, and you know, they're just, ah, I can't hear anything because I'm trembling. But I've seen people do that with chocolate, you know? It happens about every second and every day. Ah, I got much my chocolate. Well, is chocolate usually considered a sin? No. Is, is it some bad thing? Well, if you don't have it at that moment, you need it. Now you're under its power. You know, I, I've seen people do that with coffee. I know people say, I just cannot drink coffee. To me, I just get all hyped out. It's, it's, to other people, go, man, I can't. I couldn't wake up in the morning without coffee. It'd be sin if I didn't drink it. (laughs) So, again, is there some nice little formula I can give you? No. We don't live or die without affecting one another, and we're not gonna live or die without God's judgment of how we work things out. We have both that we have to take into consideration. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you that your heart is to protect our liberty, <laughs> but it's also in your heart to protect our brethren. So Lord, how do we do that? How do we protect our liberty in Christ and at the same time, love our brother in Christ? And if our liberty is, is upsetting, bothering, grieving, not bringing joy to one another, Lord, how does that work out? I know that your spirit is speaking to each one of this morning about certain issues. And we just ask in Jesus' name that you continue to, to speak into our lives what it is you want to speak into our lives. And as we wrestle with these things, Lord, please just let us deepen in relationship with you and one another. No law, no legalism. Is gonna, it's just gonna mess things up. But how is our love for you? How is our love for one another? Let it be great. Let today there just be a joyful liberty here, but there be a greater love for one another in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said? Amen, amen, amen. amen. We have plenty of coffee and donuts. I know nobody has a problem with either one of those, so. (laughs) Have a great great day in the Lord. Bye-bye.